Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. guys welcome to another episode of the best life podcast and it is the fourth of july and before we get started with today's shenanigans we want to talk about something really uh really awesome today and really i think that a lot of people will be able to relate to but yeah last night we had a great night we went and watched the fireworks that was so fun it was so fun and i just you know what is so interesting i was sitting there and i was just like we're watching the fireworks and we're out with like you know just friends and i'm just like looking around and going like this really is the best life it's so the best life. I think we said that like a handful of times last night. And you know what too? Just like being with people and I don't know, it was like the excitement, the energy, everything was just amazing. And you know what? Honestly, it's funny. I got my nails done yesterday by a girlfriend of mine who's Russian. And she said to me so many times, we were actually, we'll, we'll get into this top, like topic today. We were just talking about the struggles of life. And she goes, every time I think things are bad, I think thank God I don't live in Russia. And I was going, you know what? Honestly, we are really lucky. And I know we have listeners all over the world, but we are really, really blessed to be able to live in a place that we have choices and we have some freedoms and that doesn't go unnoticed, you know, that people have fought for that and freedom doesn't come free. So I don't know. It was a cool, cool night. It really was. And it was just like, it just reminded me of like why this is the best life podcast and what we want to kind of, you know, it always is a choice to see it that way. So I think in any example or any situation, we always had the opportunity to, to complain about stuff. To be like, oh, it's too cold out here, or it's, I mean, anything from like, oh, I wish I was doing, like, I mean, there's just so, so many things that you can choose to complain about in any situation, to be honest. And, um, you know, the fact that you can choose gratitude, I think, is the ultimate kind of, I don't know, being in your power and really owning your power. Yes. So, you know what? I actually, the, one of the things we're going to talk about today, which it was something I've wanted, well, I haven't wanted to talk about, <laughs> I have been avoiding talking about for probably, a good four years, something that I've been feeling the pressure to. And it's, I made this commitment to myself. If I don't want to talk about it, I should, except this is something I keep avoiding. And what happened basically was the other day, I've been struggling, really like struggling the last, probably the last six plus weeks with some stuff. And to be honest, I thought I was just in a funk. And I think that I was in a funk, but it got deeper and deeper. And I really fell into a pretty, like pretty major depression or it's getting to that point. And so you want to talk about like your history a little bit with that or like it wasn't just from out of the blue? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go back. I'll go back into it. But just to just to bring light to how like this all this this came about, fell into some depression. And I actually was like, I I realized that my thoughts were getting a little out of control. And I asked Jill if I could borrow the car because I was like, you know, what? I think I need to get medication at this point. And so we ended up at a urgent health, a mental health, uh, urgent clinic, urgent care, mental health. I don't know what Mm -hmm. it was called. And spent a good like four or five hours there so that I could get on some medication. And so, yeah, I'll talk about kind of how it came about and, and all of that. But this is really what brought it out. And Jill just looked at me. She goes, you want to talk about this on the podcast? And I was like, in my head, I was screaming like, fuck no. <laughs> this is humiliating. It's embarrassing. And, you know, we were sitting there in the, in the waiting room. And I was like, and I just whispered over. I was like, this is why people kill themselves. And that's when she asked me if I want to talk about it. And I was like, and she goes, you know, this could be re- really be of service to people. And so 
while instinctually, I don't want to talk about this at all. I don't want to bring this up. I don't want to um, talk about my issues with it. Jill's right. And I appreciate you for asking and for letting us talk about it. And One just- of the amazing things that I thought, you know, the reason why I think this is such an important topic, obviously it's, it's so common. And some of the comments that you made to me, so just to give everyone, we were just, we were just hanging out in that clinic and Danny was like, if you weren't here, I would absolutely have left by now. Cause this is yeah. like, we're just waiting too long. And I was like, there's no fucking way we're leaving. Yeah. Like we've been here three hours, like we're going to follow through, but you know, it was an interesting experience because, you know, you're like looking around and you're like, these are the crazy people. But like, really, it's there's such a stigma attached to it that like, I think that we have the opportunity to break that down because you said to me, it's so it feels so shameful or it feels like and I and I understand that it feels embarrassing or it feels and I'm, I'm going like, it's so not. And that's what the best life is all about is breaking down and like normalizing a lot of things that are happening with people that no one feels comfortable talking about yeah. and feels so much shame around. And to me, it's just, it's like just normal stuff. And so that's why I was like, I think that could be a really good topic for us to like, just, I don't know, pull the curtain back on. I I appreciate you saying it. I appreciate you bringing it up. And I, as much as I, I mean, and since that night, like the last few nights, I've just been thinking about it. I'm going, oh my God, this is so scary. And I'm going, but Danny, this is what you need to do. And this is what the, the podcast is about. And I was thinking, well, when we talked about the affairs, I'm going, there's nothing else that could be harder to talk about than that. And I'm like, this is actually one of the ones for me that's has it almost causes anxiety to to think about talking about it but I'm actually glad we we are and I appreciate how you made it feel normal like we were there it took ridiculously and first off we went to the first clinic they sent us away and Jill's like no let's go to the next one because I was going no I'll just do it later and thank God for her because I know I know myself that I would have if I gone alone I would have come home and then just the experience of I hate lines first of all I hate waiting and I know I would have taken probably days, if not weeks, before I actually tried again. And that would be more weeks of me just being miserable and suffering. And so I appreciate that she sat there in the ridiculous waiting room for so long. And, you know, we got to the point where we can kind of laugh about it. I was like, I go, by the time we leave here, you're going to be crazy too. And you're going to need to be on meds. <laughs> because we were just like, this is so insane. It was so many hours. But, you know, I'm going to kind of go back to how it started for me. Um, I'd say my first, and I talked, I haven't really talked about this, but my first like real bout with like major depression was right after I found out my dad was not my dad. I spent like three and a half days in bed just crying. And later on, and I talked about this on the adoption episode when my cousin moved in, I I went through like a lot of um, suicidal thoughts and a lot of depression. And what it looked like at the time was probably just a general, I don't want to say hating of life, but a general feeling of worthlessness, of just constant thoughts of, I don't want to be here. I shouldn't be here. I don't belong. And when I mean be here, I mean like alive. And I was sent to a clinic for suicidal thoughts and they put me on medication. And then once they found out I was pregnant, they took me off. But I was told then that I, you know, they gave me a label and they said that I'll have to be on medication the rest of my life. And I really rejected that idea. I didn't want to think that there was something wrong with me. And it was one of the reasons I really got into health and fitness because I read something about how exercise can help with depression and diet can help with depression. And I found that I was in my 20s, I was able to manage it really well with exercise and diet. So I thought I had found the like cure. But unfortunately, over the years, there's been a few times where it's come roaring back. And this is what I think can be so confusing for people is that you think, 
everything is fine. Like my life is great. This is the best life. I have great friends. I have support. And yet I'm driving my car and I want to yank the steering wheel into oncoming traffic and end it all. And it's, it's like this crazy feeling of where is that coming from? There's no explanation. And, and the problem can be sometimes is that there sometimes is an explanation, right? Like my dog just died a few weeks ago. So I was attributing it to that. I was like, okay, obviously I was really sad about that. And then there's been some things that have come up that have been hard. And so I kept brushing it off as like, well, this is just life that's hard. And there's a lot of times where we can go through some hard things and that's normal reactions. Grief is normal. Sadness is normal. I think when it gets to a point where it's persistent and the thoughts are uh, out of control or maybe they're just you're thinking about self-harm, that's when you start going, wait, maybe this isn't just a funk. Maybe this isn't just normal grief. Maybe this is something a little bit deeper. And that's when I think it can be really tricky and scary, especially if you haven't dealt with it before. Or even if you have, sometimes I think we feel like we can control it. I was thinking, well, Mm -hmm. I'll just get back to exercising or I can just, you know, like talk about it. But ultimately there gets, you can get to a point where all those things just don't work anymore. I think a lot of people, you know, like you kind of subtly kind of like inferred this, that it's a choice, right? That it's like, oh, it's just like, you know, you're just sad and you can just like exercise your way out of it. And so, you know, I think there are people on both sides where they go like, there's no such thing as hormonal imbalance Mm -hmm. or, you know, and there's other people who are, you know, just vehemently against the idea that like, can't you just choose your thoughts? And I think for some knowing you, you know, especially you're someone who I know always takes 100% responsibility for anything that's going on in life. So there's a cognitive disconnect of like, but wait, I'm the type of person who just works hard or chooses my thoughts or decides to be happy or whatever. And yet like this is not, and that's maybe where the shame settles in. Cause you're like, but all my tools are not working and I don't want to feel this way. You know what I mean? So I think uh, to the people who just go, that's not a thing, like just choose your way out of it. I think, and you know, probably embarrassingly for me at one point, that was probably my mentality before I understood more about like brain chemistry and like all that kind of stuff. And I think it's, I think that's maybe where the shame comes in is like, you can intellectualize your, you can intellectualize your way out of it, but like the thoughts are still there or like the feeling is still there and you're going, but my life is great. So it feels really confusing. Yeah. And that creates shame. That creates a lot of shame for me, especially I think because I feel like I know that. You know, like I've done so much work and I've done all the behavioral therapy and the counseling and like the journaling and the affirmations and the exercise and the diet. (laughs) And it's like, dang, why is this happening again? And even, you know, and it kind of has come out of the blue and I'm sure some of it is diet and exercise and some of the things, but ultimately I know that it's, I had to do something quickly to, um, I had to do something to stop it before it just got out of control. And so I I struggled with medication for a long time because, you know, my mom was on medication and they told me I would have to be. And so I'm a rebellious person. And if somebody tells me I have to do something, I'm like, no, right? It's like somebody told me I'm, I just got type two diabetes and maybe on medication, I'll be the one to like reverse it. If somebody tells me I have cancer, I'm going to be like, I'm beating this, right? (laughs) Like I refuse to take labels. I refuse to take medication. And so the, the taking of medication was actually a a big shameful thing for me personally because I felt like it admitted that I couldn't do it, that I couldn't fix it myself. And ultimately, I think it was around, it was January 2015, I believe, that I was, I went through this again. And what happened was I was having these suicidal thoughts and I was in bed for a couple of days and it was about maybe three or four days. And then I felt okay again. 
And then it happened again. And I, I guess what I noticed was it was on the 25th of the month. And then the next month it happened on the 25th. And then I thought, oh my gosh, maybe this is related to my period. And so I started to track it. And then the third month, it was like definitely a week before my period, massively suicidal, wasn't able to leave, like bawling. And my husband at the time was like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, what? Our life is so bad. And I'm like, no, it's not. And so I ended up going to uh, OBGYN and they said there's something called PMDD, post premenstrual dysmorphic disorder. It's like worse than PMS, right? It's like especially depressive, but there's, that was a new kind of depression for me. And so I think too, we have to realize that there are different things like Anybody who's had a baby and had postpartum depression mm-hmm. knows that it's freaking real. Like mm-hmm. hormones can control and do so many things. Yep. Seasonal affective disorder yep. um, in the winter, bipolar, major depression. There's so many different things that can come up and we just feel like we can affirm your way out of yep. it or exercise your way out of it. And sometimes it's not that simple. Do you think that you can to a certain degree? I think you can to a certain degree. I think you can to a certain degree. And I think some people are more susceptible than others, right? So you've kind of, we talked right before, said maybe you haven't struggled as much, but you've been in a funk. Like everybody feels sadness. Everybody I think can go through, but I do believe that some people are more, just like you're more susceptible to maybe diabetes or I think there's family, there's definitely family history of mental illness on my family. There's definitely a history of bipolar disorder. And so I think very possibly like when my dog died and I was sad that it's, you know, your brain creates like neural pathways, right? And so the more often you do something like, like how habits are created, the neural pathways get shorter and shorter. And so I think too, for me, that if there's triggers that are sad, I can quite easily slip back into that. And my brain can just find those old neural pathways and then I can get stuck there. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what the trigger was this time. And very possibly, I know there's some hormonal stuff going on with me right now too. It was really interesting the other day. I want to talk, you had mentioned a few of like the labels, bipolar, mm-hmm. you know, SAD, uh, anxiety. And so it was interesting the other day when we were at, you went in to see the nurse practitioner and she asked you like, have you ever been diagnosed bipolar? And she's like, you have a ni- you're 90% likely that you're bipolar. Yeah. And I know that you didn't love that because you were just like, fine, like whatever. Like, you know, yeah. you just actually didn't even have a response to it. You're like, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just like, you just let it roll off of you. Yeah. What do you feel like, do you feel like labels can help people or do people attach to labels? Are they helpful? Are they not helpful? Yeah, it's so tricky with labels. And and you know, it's, and this is just my perspective, guys. I know some people, it might feel like the labels help them. You know, maybe it helped them identify what was wrong. But for me, I, I feel that when you attach yourself to a label, you are... I feel stuck if I, you know, so yeah, she, she called me back and I came out and I was like telling Jill, I'm like, she told me I'm bipolar. I was like, fuck her. (laughs) But I was just like, whatever. I I was like, okay, that doesn't help me. You know, I was like, right now I know how I feel. Right. But for me, if I, if I go around one, first off, if you have a stigma, there is a stigma of even attaching yourself to a label. So I feel very fearful of admitting to somebody that I even have any depression or that I'd be bipolar because I think that there'd be a judgment already. Mm-hmm. Maybe I couldn't get into a certain like, I don't know, like I couldn't buy guns or something. I don't know. Not that I'm going to buy guns, but <laughs> you know, there's or there, just people would be like one, even just like tiptoeing around you or like yeah. not treating you like a full human on some capacity. Totally. You know? Totally. Or, or if I get angry on something justifiably angry, they're like, Oh, well she's just, she's bipolar, you know? And so I, I, I think because growing up, um, I I had a lot of uh, 
mental illness in the family. And one aunt in particular, she was one that was constantly threatening to commit suicide. She was constantly in and out of the hospital. She was constantly living with us. And I felt so much that I didn't want to be the crazy person. And so I struggled with trying so hard to not be crazy. And, and don't you think there's even like, it's so unfair. Like we were joking before, yeah. but like these are the crazy people, but like there is, there's a, a stigma attached to totally. It used to be, I forget who it was like a comedian who was doing a bit on this that like, there used to be that like one person in like when you're growing up in your neighborhood, that was like, that's the crazy lady. Yeah. But like now it's, I mean, like we can laugh about that term. I don't think it's applicable, but it's like, there are so many different you know, it's, there's such a spectrum of like how you feel. And it's not like you're just crazy or not crazy. It's like, there's so many different variables that we need to consider. And I just feel like it's so much more complex than it it was like in your parents' generation. Totally. It's super complex. Or there was like the walk it off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It just like get up off your, you know, your ass and like, just do your thing and do your job. And like, there was just no conversation around it. Totally. Totally. It's, it's so hard to like, you look at, so we're, you know, we're also, we're in this place because it's an urgent care clinic, there's all kinds of people that come in. And I was finding myself, I'm like, I'm trying not to judge them. And I'm trying not to judge myself, but I feel like I'm not one of them. I'm not one of these crazy people, but I'm sitting here in the same place. And I'm going, I am one of these people right now because I need the help. And I did appreciate Jill for basically making me stay because, and I just like, I I said it in the office and I, and I really meant it though. I, I would like whisper to her, I go, this is why people kill themselves because it's hard to get help and it's hard to go to a place like that. So I know that I could go to a regular doctor, but it's going to take me a couple weeks to get an appointment. At this point, I'm probably going to bail out and not go. I've been to, I don't have a regular doctor and I don't have insurance either, but I've gone to an OBGYN. That's where I've gone in the past. And so usually they'll, they will prescribe me one time and then they go, now you need to go see a psychiatrist. And it's just, it's such a, there's so many hoops you have to jump through. It makes it so difficult that you don't want to do it. And then if you go to a doctor, let's say you go to an OBGYN and you're like, Hey, um, I'm feeling like a little bit down. And the questions they ask seem really invasive. They seem really extra personal. You know, she, the, the uh, nurse practitioner was asking me about like my drug abuse of choice, my habits and the questions feel almost accusatory. You feel like you're less than human and suddenly you're going, you know what? I'm fine. I can just get out of this. I can yep. just get through you're it. like, actually, no, don't give me the thing. Like, yeah. I'm fine. yeah. It just, it feels like so much work and so much effort. And when you're going through depression, everything feels overwhelming anyway. To make an appointment to do something right. feels super overwhelming. I was kind of looking up um, online just the signs and symptoms. And uh, these are really useful. So you sent your notes to me and actually yeah. I was just like, this is extremely. So can we like, can you walk us through kind of like, how do you know when it's not just, maybe I can speak like really quickly from my experience. I've never had experience with, you know, clinical depression or clinical anxiety or anything like that. But for me, I've certainly experienced like funks where you just mm-hmm. feel creatively tapped out. You feel energetically tapped out, you know, and you feel emotionally tapped out and you're and and I've written on this quite a bit, but you know, I think if you're someone maybe like that who has not been like clinically, you know, diagnosed depression or, you know, any of these, it's kind of like, how do you recognize what that feels like? For me, it feels like I just, uh, it feels like listlessness. It feels like, like just low energy. Like you said, you don't really like want to do anything. You have no Mm -hmm. thoughts in your head, especially for someone like us who like we, you know, we use our creativity, we use our brain, we we create content for our job. It can feel really disconcerting to be like, oh shit, I just don't have any drive to do anything. It's like a lack of motivation. So yeah. how is that different than 
clinical depression. Yeah, that can be. And, you know, I'm no doctor, right? I'm no psychiatrist and we're not here to diagnose nope. um, just so I could get that out of the way. But but um, you've had those too. You've had those moments of just like create, like just yeah, being like exhausted definitely. creatively and like emotionally tapped out and you're just like, I don't want to do anything. Like it's a, it's a crisis of motivation maybe. Definitely. Definitely. I have had, and I, I can tell the difference, but what's funny is sometimes you, I don't, can't tell the difference at first. And then it gets to a place where it's like, this has gone on way too long. You know, one of the, I'm just kind of looking up a random website, you know, I Googled signs and symptoms of depression because I wanted to see like, do I have all these? And I was like <laughs> nodding my head. I'm like, yep, yep. A <laughs> couple of the things are you're always tired and it's not that um, it's, it's like you're always tired, but you're not necessarily sleeping. You can have a lot of insomnia, but it's almost like the motivation and the daily tasks, making decisions. It's, it's like it's like you're tired of life. It's not just like you're tired because your kids are running around. You, it's the little things start to become really overwhelming. It's overwhelming to plan stuff. It's overwhelming to do tasks. Like you, you might sit on the couch and you know you need to do the dishes and you're staring at it and it feels like the hardest thing to do, which is also why it can be hard to get help. It's hard to pick up the phone and tell somebody because you don't want to talk about it. And you also, you also feel ashamed. Yeah. And you don't want to uh, burden them. That was, I think that's a huge differentiator between feeling like kind of just like in a fun, a motivational funk mm-hmm. versus feeling like I don't want to burden someone with this information or I don't yeah. want because then all of a sudden you have to like manage their response. Yeah. And so it can be, can it be really hard to ask for help? And is that the thing that you need to do? It's like the thing you need to do is also the hardest thing to do or th- no, it doesn't help. I think so. I mean, I think what it can be helpful or hurtful. So I will say, you know, so much to Jill the other day, one, her non-judgment, but, you know, one of the things I I just, I like kind of just offhandedly said it. I was like, hey, can I use the car? And I'm like, if I'm being honest, I just like want to crash in traffic or something. I don't know. I said something a little offhanded, but she took it seriously. And I know that she's, you know, I kind of mentioned to her about a week ago that I was like struggling a bit. And I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to cry too. <laughs> and, you know, she she just walked over and she just goes, tell me how that feels. And I, it, nobody's ever asked me that. And I didn't really want to because I felt like, I don't know, I know she's not going to judge me, but I felt like that was really hard to put into words. I'm like, I can't really explain it. But she just said, <laughs> she just said, because I'm, I mean, literally just like the thoughts, the thoughts are like, I don't want to be here. And not that I'm going to like make a plan to kill myself, but those are kind of the thoughts. And, you know, she just was like, what would I do without you? And she just gave me a hug and just let me like cry. And literally just like a hug and being able to cry was probably the thing that I needed. It was like, I couldn't really put into words, but I just needed like that moment and the like, okay, let's go and let's get you help. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to pressure you, but we are going to get you some help and we're going to take care of this. And I think that it can be hard because sometimes, and this has happened in my past where I've tried to talk to somebody and then they just do the thing where they're like, can't you just like go do something? Can't you just change your mindset? And you're like, ugh. It, it almost feels like, why did I even bother? Right. Why did or they I make it about them? Like, yeah. They're like, oh, now we got, I got to deal with this or whatever. Totally. Yeah. And you're like, okay, it just reaffirms the fact that like you might be a burden. Yes. Or there's judgment or they just don't take it seriously or. Yep. And I've even had, you know, with my mom, she was really big on the medication and I didn't want to be on it. And she'd be like, well, you just need to take your medication. And, and there was even actually a point where, and this, you know, to religion, this is where I really struggled with medication actually at the beginning of it was. I used to be told like that my thoughts were from Satan, like Satan wants you to, Satan wants you to be 
depressed. Satan wants you unhappy. And then it was weird when I took meds and I felt better. I'm like, so is this God in a pill? Like, and, and sometimes if we are in that kind of, um, like in a religion, we might think that if we can just pray about it or we can somehow like God can fix it. And it's like, it's not that easy. And it's, it's not about Satan and God or it's, it's a chemical imbalance. It's, it could be hormonal. It could be chemical, but I think, yeah, you reaching out for help can be helpful, but it can also be hurtful. And I think sometimes when you have the negative experience, it keeps you from reaching out again. And if you feel like it happens consistently, you feel like I'm a burden in the family. I don't want to reach out again to this person. They're so tired of me. They're so, they've got their own stuff going on and that can be really, really heavy. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't have the best answer and I know that's why there's there's hotlines out there and things like that for people and I wish that everybody had a Jill in their life when they're struggling but not everybody does and it's like how can you find someone like that and I I think online communities are a great way like sometimes they could be anonymous or you can go into some groups and that could help because sometimes the people closest to us don't they're not the most helpful. And they're, and they're getting emotionally charged too. Cause they're thinking to themselves, like they're, they're scared for you yeah. or they're like, you know, and they're, they're kind of like, you know, uh, taking it personally or something like that. But you know, what do you, what advice would you give to someone who like, so we kind of know, okay, I need to ask for help or I need to engage. Yeah. But that's the last fucking thing I feel like doing. Yep. How do you overcome that little bit of like activation energy? Cause you know, once you start like engaging, once you start like doing the things that you know. So it's like a disconnect, right? I know I should be doing these things, whether it's, you know, getting on a med or whether it's doing like exercising or whatever. But I also just feel like doing none of that. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) I wish I knew the answer. Like it, the funny, the one thing that the nurse practitioner said to me, she goes, what took you so long? She's like, how long has this been going on? I was like, well, if I think about it, you know, it's been quite a few weeks and um, she goes, what took you so long? And I go, I don't know. I just had to wait till it got bad enough, I guess. And unfortunately, if I waited longer, it might've just gotten so bad that I just really didn't do anything. And so it's, I think when you just have that one time when you have the thought, I, I should make a call or I should do it, you should just, you kind of have to just do it before you overthink it. Is there an opportunity? Is there ever a time where you just go, okay, like I recognize kind of what's going on. There's not really anything to do. Yeah. Is it okay to just like stay in bed for a few weeks? <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. You can't. I mean, <laughs> you can. This is the problem is like, I think when depression, you convince yourself you can. You convince yourself. And I've been there. Like I have been. You go, I'll just do this and I'll just, it'll get better. Yeah. Or... I've like put the pillow over my head and I've cried for days and days and weeks, but it doesn't really get better. It's not like. It's not like the flu. If you rest for a few days and all of a sudden it goes away, <laughs> right, it doesn't right. go away. Right. But the problem with it is it's so freaking tricky. You can convince yourself that you can just stay in bed and that it's fine or you're just in a funk. Like there's so many tricks that your brain has that will convince you that it's all fine and that it'll go away. And that sometimes too, when people call and even if people are checking on you, this is the thing too. They're like, how are you? You're like, I'm fine. And you put on this happy face and you fake it. And then you go home and you just cry and just go back to bed. And so it's, you become an actor. And then soon you just get so tired of acting. You stop answering the phone. You stop responding to people. Mm. You don't want to, because it takes too much energy to act and you become reclusive and hiding out. And it's, it do, the problem is, is I don't really think it goes away on its own. It only gets worse. 
And so there does need to be a change. And I'm not saying that medication is the change, but there has to be something. And, you know, I wrote down some things. So how do you, if you notice that someone in your life is like in that space or like they're just, they're becoming a little more reclusive, you, you, you know, intuit that something might be going on with them. They're just disengaging. They're, you know, not really responding. They're, you know, you know, maybe they have a history of Mm -hmm. depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. How do you, what's the best way to help them? I mean, I think just the way you, you've come at it has been amazing. Is like trying not to judge it and just say, hey, I just noticed you haven't been yourself lately. Is there anything I can do? And I think actually it's hard to say that because sometimes when you ask, is there anything I can do that overwhelms the person? Because they're like, I don't know. I don't even know what I could do for myself. Right. But maybe just the recognition of like, hey, I've noticed... Um, and maybe a slight suggestion of like, maybe let's go on a walk. You know, like I think, I think actually getting outside and some exercise can help at least initially I think getting outside is actually really huge sunshine or just fresh air, because even in that moment, it can just boost your, your serotonin and your dopamine and all like the good hormones just to help you a bit. And if you can start getting outside and just taking a walk, just moving, it's interesting how much movement can help. What should um, people maybe not do? like as the person helping, mm-hmm. like get mad at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, you're, you're lazy, calling them lazy, saying that they are, you know, wasting their life because the person in their head is already thinking they're wasting right. their life. They're thinking, well, I'm better off just not being here. You know, the thoughts are pretty crazy. Um, you know, I think the person who's struggling with the depression feels like they're a burden. They think they could do it on their own. They think they don't matter. And then one of the things, you know, like we just had two two big suicides recently in the news, um, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. And, you know, there's this conversation of like, they had everything. And, Mm. but one of the things that can be hard is like, if you are a successful person, you feel like you should have it all together. And Mm. you feel like they can do it. Maybe you feel like you can do it on your own and then you can't. And they also start to feel that people would actually be better off without you. Like you think that you're going to be such a burden you're actually doing the world a favor or your friends a favor by not being around. You know, part of my thought even, and I know this is so like wrong and messed up and not wrong, but just not true, is I thought, you know, I don't want to burden Jill and like we're here and we're sitting here for hours and hours. Like it would just be better if I was dead then she didn't have to, like she can do her own stuff, right? Like it's so crazy, but it's like you start to think that you'll be better off because you can keep, you can do your own thing and not worry about me. I won't be here to worry about. Unfortunately, that's the farthest from the truth because people like will miss you. They'll grieve you, but you, you have these feelings that you're just not worth the time and burden. It's interesting. It goes back to like, you know, or maybe being someone who wants to help and doesn't really know how to and what should like kind of some do's and don'ts goes back to a couple of the podcasts that we've already done on like boundaries and stuff. We've Mm -hmm. talked a lot about this. So if you, if you're trying to help someone and you're, you are finding that you're being impatient, like, you know, like for me, you know, it's easy for me to be available for you because I'm just like, who who else would I want to be available for? Like, yeah. you're my best friend. And also, like, what else are we doing today? To me, I'm like, yeah. that is not. But if you find yourself being impatient or you're like, they're not healing fast enough or whatever, like, check your own stuff. Like, you have to check yourself with that stuff. You have to go like, okay, is this this friend or family member like this is what else am I doing here? Yeah. Like, right? Like, the idea that there's a pace at which someone needs to go because you've put in effort. Like, to me check yourself with that stuff. So to me, the negative emotions would be like, you're impatient, mm-hmm. you're uh, getting angry, you're getting resentful. That's yours to manage, yep. you know? So go back, going back to like, what are my boundaries? Like, how can I be more present if I'm feeling all of those things? 
what do I need to do so that like I can fucking, cause to me, there's nothing more important to like than being there for your friend when they need you. Yeah. Right. You can't be there for every single person all yeah. the time. And, but you need to be able to manage your energy so that when someone in your life needs you, you don't have those like impatient, resentful moments. So this is kind of like all like pre- preventative type stuff. Yep. And it comes down to like, how are you managing your energy? Yeah. You know, it reminded me actually you saying this reminded me of a friend. I, I had one of my best friends growing up. Uh, she was my best friend, like my very first best friend. My We knew each other as like babies. And then after we were eight, we lost contact. And then we, we reconnected about two and a half years ago and she committed suicide. And she, right before she was calling me every day, she was leaving me lots of messages. She was like, she was really on kind of a psychotic break. And uh, I could help her only to a certain extent. And so ultimately, I I struggled with the like, could I have done something? Mm-hmm. Could I have stopped it? Because yep. she like was leaving me messages. And it got to the point where she was calling me so much, I would avoid her calls. And I was talking to her um, wife and you know, we were both, we were both just sitting there going, we did as much as we could. You know, we, one of the things we were trying to do was get her into a like clinic because sometimes there is, sometimes there is that point where it is too much. And if you see that you are becoming resentful or that the person actually is leaning on you so much and they need more help, you have to realize that you aren't the expert. And sometimes you do have to step in and help them get expert help Mm -hmm. because it can be overwhelming to the other, to the person who's, who's holding it down. It can be super overwhelming. Like I would not want to be a burden to Jill if I was, if I was there all the time and there would be a point where she probably could go, you know what, Danny, we need to get you like to a hospital, like where you need to stay or you need to like, but I love that distinction. I think that's so important to go but, like, I'm I'm trying to hold space and I'm having a hard time managing it. Yep. So can we bring in someone else yeah. like, to help or to, you know what I mean? Totally. Because it can feel like such a part and it can feel, I mean, let's, the worst case scenario, the person does commit suicide. Suddenly you feel like that was your fault because you were supposed mm-hmm. to manage it. And I will say just to anybody who is a survivor of that, that there is nothing that, there's not one thing, there's not one moment where you can, I know people go back and have that guilt of like, could I have done something? How would I have known? And honestly, you know, the way depression works and the way that it can work when you become suicidal is that the person didn't necessarily want you to know. There's, I think that it can be really a trap to think that I should have called or I should have done something. It's so, it's so easy to get stuck in that, but also to realize that if you are a survivor of someone that there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can do. And I love that reminder. Yeah. I think that um, it's just important. There, it's tricky all the way around. It's tricky to be the person who's holding it down. It's And it's tricky to be the person struggling because you don't want to be that person. Totally. You don't want to be feeling the way you're feeling. And yet you are. Yeah, you are. And so there's that shame and that goes back to that gap between like, I should be here, but I'm here. That's That gap is sh- can be shameful. Yep. And so what would be like a final takeaway for someone? I mean, I know obviously we're not like prescribing anything, but like an ultimate takeaway, like if you had to say, like summarize, if you're in that space and you notice you're going down that path, what is what would be your like action plan? I think the ultimate takeaway would be to reach out somehow, you know, find help, whether it's online, whether it's a friend or a doctor and note that. There's no shame in, in getting on medication if you need to be on medication. And note too that the label thing, 
just because somebody says you have to be on the rest of your life doesn't mean you have to be on the rest of your life. I've been on and off, you know. So I we, and just to, to wrap up what happened over the weekend is I got on I got medication. Uh, I'm not like fine still, you know. It's only been two days, so I'm still going up and down. But I'm around people that know what's going on. I'm trying to go outside. I'm trying to make myself do stuff. Like literally yesterday, I did not want to go to the fireworks. I wanted to just stay in bed and be in my funk. But I knew that I needed to make myself and I'm so glad I did. And, you know, today it's it's such an easy thing for me to be able to honestly want to stay in and do nothing. But I'm going to really encourage you to make some kind of move, make a contact, make a doctor's appointment. If this is like, as soon as you are done with the podcast, if you need to hang up and Google a doctor, but do something because it's not going to go away on its own and you have to make some kind of change. And I'm going to encourage you too, if you are someone who's like, with a friend or a spouse or a partner who's struggling is to try to be understanding and and see what you can do to help them. And maybe, maybe it is just to take them to the doctor with you because it can be a really hard thing to do on your own. It can be really easy to like not make that appointment. So maybe you can just offer, Hey, do you want me to make the phone call for you? Yep. Make making a simple phone call could be so difficult for someone who's struggling. So if you can make that little offer and make that easier on the person, then I think that could be helpful. That's awesome. How can pe- how can people, if they're listening to this, can continue this conversation? Can we have this conversation in our closed Facebook group? DM us. Maybe if you know someone who is struggling with this, just give them and just have them listen to this episode. Like if you know yeah. someone who is maybe is struggling, or even just a fa- friend or family member who maybe doesn't know how to handle having someone in their family who is depressed or is going through something share this episode with them. I, I think that ultimately you and I both want to, the reason why, even though I know this is scary as shit for you, it's, I think it's always in service to normalize this stuff and know that it is so human and normal and way more common than we think. You tend to think you're the only person feeling this way that no one else could understand you. And we know that from, we've talked about that in several episodes, that's just not the case. The emotions are the same situation might be different circumstances, but the feelings are the same. Yep. So reach out and, you know, connect with us, connect in our closed Facebook group, the bestlifepodcast.com. This is a free Facebook group. And if you guys know someone who's dealing with this on, on any side, make sure you share this podcast with them. Love that. Thank you guys for the conversation. And thank you, Jill, for making us talk about it. And thank you for being <laughs> one courageous bitch. <laughs> love wow. you guys. I love you guys. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye.